Hello everyone, welcome back to Zoho Live. We're talking to Karthik Sridharan today, the founder and CEO of Flexible and Remote Tools. If you followed Karthik on social media, you'd know what a big believer of bootstrapping he is. Needless to say that he has grown flexible from zero to two million in revenue, entirely self-funded. Thank you so much for joining us in Zoho Live, Karthik. Thank you so much for having me, Vanati. Absolutely. Uh, Kartik, I want to begin with uh, what was the cognition behind creating Flexible? I mean, why or how did you think you could make a full-blown business by hiring tech talents, be it uh, developers or designers or product managers? Like, what was mm -hmm. the cognition behind it? Yeah, often people think that, uh, you know, startup ideas drop like apples on people's heads. You know, uh, they think that uh, one day uh, they sit and they get this amazing idea for me it wasn't so much you know i had worked at jp morgan investment banking then uh, I, I i just started my mba at iim ahmedabad and that's when i realized that i don't want to be working in a traditional company in a traditional role and i wanted to explore something in entrepreneurship and uh, that time i just analyzed various ideas that uh, you know i was observing various problems i thought we could solve and there was a lot of talk about the gig economy exploding and so on uh, that's when I felt that, you know, there is another economy that's being totally ignored, which is the talent economy, which where I, there's a very clear distinction I feel between the gig and the talent economy where talent is all about quality and gig is all about quantity and just being cheap. Right. So, uh, I felt there's a big market over there and businesses really value quality and they would pay money if, uh, you know, you really can promise them and deliver on it. And, uh, we felt that tech is the place that is going to blow big. And uh, people will also, over a period of time, want to build their own personal brands. And that's where possibly freelancers will lead the you know talent growth in the future. So I wanted to explore it. Uh, can't say for sure that I felt or I knew that it was going to be a big uh, thing. But I, I knew that tech was a big market and uh, we could at least make some kind of a living in that space. My goal was never to be the next billion dollar business at the very beginning. It was just to do good work in the space and uh, possibly be uh, some do something that I was passionate about. I think it's safe to say that you did succeed at your guess. And uh, so uh, let me ask you, after the idea of flexible kicked in, what was the first few critical steps towards realizing the idea? Because to just conceive an idea is one thing, but to make it a reality, considering I think you said you had a, a nine to five job, right? And you had to quit it and start this startup all, all from the scratch. So how was mm -hmm. it like? So actually it wasn't a nine to five job. So I had already quit it and I joined my MBA college at that point of time and I had quit the placement. So we have placements in our MBA college. I said, I don't want to join it. So, and I started working full time on flexible. Uh, so what were the first steps? The first steps were to make a hundred mistakes, I guess. So that's what we did. We made a lot of mistakes over the way. And, uh, one of the biggest mistakes, which I, you know, share very publicly about is about trying to, you know, make a product because <laughs> very early on, we were sure that we were going to, you know, scale very quickly, you know, all misplaced confidence, right? So we were very sure that we we're going to scale. So the only bottleneck we saw was tech, right? Saying that, okay, we need a product that can help us scale. And so that manual processes aren't a bottleneck. So that was the very first, you know, thing we did. We, of course, spoke to customers on both sides. We spoke to freelancers, companies, and we were like, okay, yeah, I think there is a market here. But immediately after we decided that we built a product, we built the first one. We decided, okay, maybe that wasn't the best one. We threw it into the bin. We built another one. We made a mistake there again. We felt we threw it into the bin. But 
I think the biggest blessing for us at that point of time was that we didn't have an infinite amount of money, right? So at some point of time, we had to say, okay, I think we need to pause a bit over here and really think how is any of this going to affect the first dollar we're going to make, right? And how is it going to affect the first $100 or first $1,000 we're going to make? If manual processes aren't really a bottleneck at that point of time, we possibly don't really have to think about that as a bottleneck at all. We just have to think about, okay, let's make money. Let's survive for a few months. Let's understand the market better. Let's actually experience the bottlenecks and then try to solve for it. So I think uh, we then just use a simple Google sheet. We uh, reached out to people over LinkedIn for freelancers. We reached out to companies through our, our network in India to, you know, to see if they wanted to hire anyone. And then we just sort of built on it, you know, step by step. Okay, so that wasn't any playbook or anything. You had to make the mistakes and you had to learn from them, right yeah, from the start. Yeah, absolutely. As in, we, we were first-time entrepreneurs, all three of us. So my co-founders are Suvansh and Rishikesh. So all three of us were first-time entrepreneurs. Of course, uh, you know, we, we read a lot of stuff, you know, and each of us had some kind of experience in non-entrepreneurial stuff, but still we worked in companies. So uh, there is a gap when, when you actually hit the road and you you realize that okay all the all the ideas and all the thoughts and strategy that you had in mind really don't pan out the way right so right, right. what i realized is that strategy at least in a very early stage startup is just a series of very small small decisions you take on a daily basis right so sure. typically people like to read about Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and they say okay you know you need to revolutionize this industry and you know do some amazing stuff which is good which is fine but at the end of the day when you're an early stage startup which hasn't made a single dollar what you need to do is think about the first dollar you're going to make you know? so I think it was about making that mistake realizing and then I, I think we got a certain clarity and uh, were able to focus on very realistic pragmatic things which would help us make money today and help us get through and survive in the first few months so that we could start planning for maybe the next six months in the next one year. That's completely perspective. Beautiful. Thank you, Karthik. And uh, so you are a bootstrapped, profitable company. And Zoho mm -hmm. has enormous respect for such companies because we are bootstrapped ourselves for the uh, 20 years or so. So mm -hmm. from the perspective of a bootstrapped company, if you asked our CEO, he would say that mm -hmm. capital is not the money that you pump in. Capital rather is in cultivating the know-how of building things. It isn't taking mm -hmm. care of your people who are doing the work. And you know, all mm -hmm. of those kind of things. As opposed mm -hmm. to the crude idea of seeing capital as just the financial part alone. What are your thoughts on that? No, of course, you know, Sridhar is amazing. He has a lot of great things to say. So uh, I totally concur with it. I think I just, just to expand on that particular idea, I think very early on, people feel that money is only money is the biggest bottleneck that they have to achieve greatness, right? Like achieve greatness in their startup. Uh, whereas it couldn't be less true, at least for most software tech startups, uh, because uh, you know it, it's like if I were to just give an analogy, right? Like Sachin Tendulkar, even with a bad bat, will hit a six, and even if you give a good bat to me, I'll still not be able to hit one. So money is. Often you just can't throw money at uh, problems and uh, just expect problems to solve themselves. You need to be able to solve the problems in a very first principles way, be able to get into the ditches, understand things, uh, make mistakes, learn from them, make, you know, find solutions that are working for you, 
not a just general copy paste and so on so i think there's a lot of truth to it further i also think that there's just so much of uh, pressure on very early stage entrepreneurs that vc funding is equivalent to success right uh, which is not true right because vc funding is a means to an end it's not the end itself right uh, and what i think it, it evolved you know even my thought process evolved over time and i think what how people need to really view money and finance and funding and so on is as one of the many hundred tools that they have right so uh, i have you know like let's say i build a great product that's a tool for me i find out uh, you know a great way to market my startup that's a great tool for me and similarly if i do i really need money to grow is the question that you need to ask or do i need 10 15 100 million dollars to grow is the question to ask over here so then that becomes a necessary tool otherwise it's not a tool you need it's a tool you could have but whether it's a tool you need or not whether it's a necessity is a question that needs to be asked so i do resonate with a lot of uh, what uh, steer has said i think those are some of the thoughts that i have around that particular topic or idea <laughs> beautiful and i think the pressure to raise more vc funding also comes yeah. because it is these companies that are celebrated by the media itself they call them unicorns yeah. but then yeah. we see unicorns coming every day after the other so that yeah. somehow makes us want to go back to the start and think maybe it is the bootstrapped ones that are making actual profit that we should celebrate as unicorns you know yeah i think there is a lot of merit to celebrating bootstrapped startups especially because there is not much spoken about them right and uh, in a certain way I, i like to celebrate entrepreneurship in general whether it's bootstrapped or otherwise there's nothing wrong in raising raising vc funding if that's the route that you want to go go by uh, i just think that uh, it's a very personality driven choice right uh, people uh, it, it, as they say right the grass is always greener on the other side right so when when you're a bootstrap startup you wish that oh if i had all that money uh, you 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 think all your problems would, would just melt away right and at the same time there are a lot of challenges if you were to just take up a huge amount of money ma- managing investors uh, you know and pretty much if you have raised money once you're going to be raising money for a lifetime right it's like it's basically a journey from your one round to the next round so i just think that yes bootstrap startups definitely can be and should be celebrated and i personally and that's where i i think i've been a lot more vocal in the last couple of years is that i think all bootstrap startups have to recognize that it's a superpower they have right that where they they're not really reliant on an external investor right and the moment you realize that you have you control your own destiny nothing can be more powerful than that you know because you're making money you're making uh, you know customers happy on a day in day out basis they pay you money and you're able to make your investments accordingly so you don't have anyone external to uh, you know really please uh, to get money and to survive and to grow so that there is that merit to it further i think everyone needs to hold a narrative yes definitely tech media celebrates uh, funding and funded startups a lot and they get easy pr right but today we let's say compare it to 20 years back we there is just so much you can do to market yourself right put your narrative put your story out there and i think every bootstrap startup owes it to themselves to be able to do that uh, and i feel that people in general root a lot more for bootstrap startups versus vc funded startups because they are a lot more relatable and and they want them to succeed so i think using all of these things 
uh, yeah, I, you got to use it as an advantage rather than view it as something like, okay, maybe boots, uh, you know, VC funded startups have celebrated way too much. Yeah, Zoho agrees with you, Karthik. <laughs> so uh, so uh, let's talk about this issue. Bootstrapping is seen as an interim state before the funding. As in, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in your case also, um, I mean, I wouldn't say in your case, but generally any company that starts up is bootstrapped. But mm -hmm. it is only bootstrapped until it is being funded by a VC. But in your case, you're choosing to remain bootstrapped even after having tasted success and profit. Why is that? It seems like you made a conscious decision to stay this way. Hmm. So again, I think, you know, two of the points that I mentioned a little before. One is, I think, as I said, funding is a tool, right? Uh, it's a tool to achieve what you where you want to be. If you think that you can do without the tool, great. Like, why do you need it, right? So I, I think at this point of time, and that's where I say, Maybe I don't know. Two years into the future, maybe we need funding, right? Like ne can never, never say never. Uh, but at this point of time, I don't think that that's a necessity. So I can't, you know, re you know, we can't make a decision that we need to start the fundraise process or you know, reach out to VCs because it's a fashion statement, right? Because everyone out there is doing it, and it'll it'll just seem a little more, you know, savvy. And we'll also be one of those, uh, you know, famous VC-funded startups out there. So I don't think that's a good motivation. You need to be true to what is actually uh, the need necessity for your startup success. And I currently don't think that uh, that's a necessity as such. Secondly, I think, of course, it's a very personality-driven choice. Uh, uh, as I said, you know, my two co-founders, Rishikesh and Suvanch, and me, uh, are very patient people. You know, so we 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 aren't in this for an overnight success. We aren't in this for, uh, you know, just oh, we've made something and we sell it and we move on to the next thing that we have done uh, that we are going to be doing. So it's something that we are in for, let's say, the next couple of decades, right? Like just the way Zoho has been. So uh, it just helps when you have that kind of mindset to know that I don't need to you know hit this metric, hit this revenue metric, or you know if I don't do that. I'm, you know, all hell will break loose. That's not the case for us. So there is no pressure cooker for us. So in such a, uh, you know, setting and with our personality, we think being the way and having full control on how we want to grow it uh, works better for our mindset, works better for our personality. And that's why I say a lot of times that uh, choosing whether to fund your startup or not, of course, it the VCs need to fund you. That is one part of it. But the other part is, that you need to ask yourself whether that's your personality aligns with that kind of a choice yeah. or not. Beautiful. Thank you. And let's talk about some of the challenges involved in startups, uh, Karthik. One of the primary mm -hmm. or the major challenge that comes to my mind is um, how to make a business self-sustaining before you run out of the initial investment. Um, how did you face it? Can you share your experience? So, so as I said, I think a lot happened because we made two, you know, failed products. We we spent almost five thousand, five thousand dollars. That's like around three and a half, four lakhs each, right, in Indian rupees. Uh, and uh, we we were just investing our own savings into it. So at some point of time, we just reached a point where okay, we didn't have infinite money in our you know bank accounts. So it just uh, we were just very focused on making enough money to survive the next one. Right. So uh, I think when people talk of scale, right, you say that you need to scale your startup and startups need to scale. I think people talk of scale as if it is an absolute concept, right? That scale is 
X, num X million number of users. But I think that's not true, right? Uh, I think scale is very relative to what a startup's current age is, right? So if, if you're a startup that just started, scale for you is being able to make $100. Right, just make hundred dollars, survive the next next week or two, and then talk about your next level of scale. Once you reach hundred dollars, your next level of scale is probably thousand, and then ten thousand. Like I guess you get the point. So, my point overall being is that you can't say that my when when you've just got an idea and you're starting on day zero, right? You can't say my vision of the startup is next five years, right? Uh, your vision needs to expand with the growth of your startup, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like, for example, my vision four years back was not how it is today. I was just trying to survive the next month. Today, I'm at a position, I think, where I'm able to think of the next year to two years at the very maximum, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's that's the zone I'm looking at. And that's the survival mode that I'm trying to look at. So when I say survive, I'm like, okay, I need to do and be successful in the next one or two years. Mm -hmm. What will hold... For me, thereafter, yes, I have a broad idea, but that's not my daily focus. So I, I think when people try to sustain, they need to understand what they're sustaining, what duration they're sustaining for and what their targets are. When you try to aim way beyond what your target should be, your goals become so vague that you start missing them. I think it's just got to be a little more realistic and a little grounded in where your startup currently exists and in yeah. the growth phase that is, yeah. Right. Um, I think I recall what Sridhar says in one of the interviews, um, zero to five years of you starting a company doesn't even count. That's like you laying the ground. It comes from the fifth year is what he says. So, so, so I guess we don't count yet. already, So that's a great news. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that's true. I guess yeah, we, we, a lot of our successes come in the last year and a half. So I, I can relate with what uh, Sridhar said. Right. And um, we spoke about mistakes, Karthik, you spoke about the mistakes that you made itself. So assuming that mix mistakes are a given, the question then becomes how to make recoverable mistakes, like how to make good mistakes and not be killed in the process. Uh, I guess, you know, like if, if only we could live retrospectively, it will be amazing, right? Like you, you just use a time machine and you can keep correcting things, but that's, that's not the world we live in, right? So I think a certain mentality is to be comfortable with making mistakes. Right. And I think that's what uh, the last four years, uh, maybe at the very core, has taught me. In the sense that uh, I no longer, I almost take mistakes to be an inevitable factor of starting up and every decision of mine. Right. There is a higher chance of it making, of it being a mistake versus it being a right decision. Uh, I think not making a mistake and being absolutely inert in saying that, okay, I would not rather not take a decision but uh, rather than make a wrong one is where things start going wrong mm -hmm. in terms of whether it, it is recoverable or not i think you know it, it's easy to say in a vague way but i'll try to do my best but when when i look at any particular you know decision that i have to make i look at what the maximum downside is right like if if i were to go through it and it doesn't work up right things go wrong What's the worst that could happen? Is that worst something that I could I can live with? Is the question I need to be asking. Uh, if that that decision could drive me out of business, surely that's not an easy decision and possibly not something that I should be taking lightly and maybe not taking at all. But if it's something that 
okay, possibly some certain amount of money lost, uh, which which doesn't drive me out of business. It's a certain amount of time lost, which is like, okay, fine. But so I think it's about being able to get to a place where you say the downside is something that I can live with, right? right? Uh, and thereafter, it, it just becomes a little more easy to make the decisions and live with the consequences of it. So I don't know if there's anything called a recoverable mistake, but maybe something where you say that, yeah, I'm comfortable with the, uh, you know, ill effects of what the decision could have. Right. Great. Thank you. And so the tools with which uh, we build matters, Karthik, you also touched upon it mm -hmm. uh, when we started. On one hand, it feels like businesses are spoiled for choice. There are so many tools out in the market. And on mm. the other hand, still nothing quite seems to cut it in terms of um, I use this tool and how much profit did I get from it? So mm. what are some of the ways in which startups or early startups could uh, make a choice on what tools should they use? I guess, uh, you know, Choosing your first tool, of course, do the research that you want to do, choose one. Uh, I think what people try to do early on is over-optimize for every edge case, right? Like, so when you, when in engineering, we call, we call it an edge case, which is basically, uh, you know, trying to solve for every other rare case that might occur in, in the various things that you try to do. I think your tools, if they have constraints, especially in your early days and as Sridhar said, the first five years don't count. So let's count the first five years. In your first five years, I don't think you should be very, uh, you know, too too bothered about your tools uh, imposing a certain amount of constraints on your business, right? In the sense that if you have to do certain manual processes to overcome the deficiencies of your tool, you should go with it. It's fine, right? Uh, instead of saying that, okay, let me build a product from scratch so that I can cover every bit of edge case possible with my own product versus using a ready-made product off the market. Why I say that is because a startup throws thousand problems at you, right? Uh, you need to be able to prioritize which ones you want to be solving. And if you are trying to solve for all the rare cases uh, that your startup might face, it's not really the best use of your time and energy. Right? You need to be focusing on things that make the maximum impact. And I feel when you have a certain amount of constraints imposed on you, and this is not only got to do with tools and products, but in general, whether even if you were to move this context even to money, right? When money is constrained, you you tend to make less stupid decisions. Right. So even with tools, I think you need to be able to live with a certain amount of constraints. And then with that, with that thing in mind, just choose the best tool that is out there. Try to optimize your cost with that. Yes. Uh, buy, buy one or, you know, subscribe to one, which, you know, people have good reviews about and uh, solves the most of your use case. But at the end of the day, live with a certain number of constraints that it throws on you till you feel that you can't live with the constraints whatsoever. And that is the only thing that is stopping you from the next level of success which I think is not the case ever for early stage startups, at least for the first, as Sridhar said, five years. <laughs> Makes sense. And uh, um, since we're talking about tools, I see you uh, talk in length in social media about no-code uh, platforms mm. or low-code platforms. Uh, do mm -hmm. you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think, uh, you know, of course now it's uh, no-code has become a really big phrase and again, a fashion statement for people. It wasn't so much for us. I think... Uh, uh, 
for us, it was just a necessity. And I think, again, that's how I think about most things. As I said, even funding should be a necessity. And for us, no-code tools also gave us that leverage to say that, okay, uh, if I were to use code and build the stuff that I have to, it would possibly be a lot more costly and also take a lot more time. And early on, what you require from your product is not fixed. You know, it's, a, it's an ever-evolving process, right? On uh, one day, your process is one. And then, you know, within two months, you see that, uh, you know, processes have totally changed. You need something that is as malleable as the growth of your startup. And in that, we felt that we need to be working with tools where it could actually react to our ever-changing needs, right? And we were not in a place, of course, like a lot of our competitors are very big. Uh, many of them raise a huge amount of money. So maybe they have an entire, like, you know, truckload of developers, you know, who are ready to immediately get going on the new features that they want. But that's not the case with us. Like a lot of the product work at Flexible is still done by Rishikesh and me, right? So we actually build our product. So in such a case, we felt that no code helps us get that quick level of, uh, you know, being able to solve for the bottlenecks that we have mm -hmm. while being able to address the constraints that we have to build with. And uh, it also, of course, as I said, it brings a certain number of constraints to the table, but it is a certain number of constraints that I'm happy with, right? You know, because when there are no constraints, your mind starts racing away. You feel that why, why don't I build this new thing? Why don't I make it a Ferrari? You know, why don't I make it a BMW? You, you know, if, if a Maruti car can get you from X to Y, just use a Maruti car and get from there. So I think no photos <laughs> get, it does that for us. And right. yeah, I, I think people should also use it as much as possible. Right. I think in short, what you're also saying is use tools that will flow uh, in the way your process flows instead of restricting um, you to flow only according to the way the tool flows, right? So yeah, that's absolutely. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in essence, I think your, your tech is supposed to enable your startup. Your startup is not supposed to enable tech. Right? Like in the sense that tech is supposed to make things easier for you. Like, but nowadays tech has become such an over, over buzzy word, you know, in terms of AI, ML, blockchain and so on. People obsess so much over it and they forget what they started up originally for. So yeah. I think for us, again, even no-code tools or tools in general are a means to an end. That's how it is. That's great. Thank you. And uh, we have a question here. It's from Manish Sharma. How many mm -hmm. times in your mind you reshaped your startup idea before actually leaving your job to give full time for the startup? How many times in your mind did you reshape your startup <laughs> idea? So, uh, as I said, I, I had already left my job and I was in an MBA school, but uh, I, I had to leave my placements, right? Like, so I had to leave a possible job and I could have possibly got a good job, good paying job. So, uh, I think it was not so much about whether I want to leave the job or not. It was about trying to find the right idea to work on. I had already made up my mind that uh, I am going to leave my job or any particular job that I would could have possibly got because I was just not happy or passionate doing those kinds of things. And I was very clear entrepreneurship is, is, is what I want to be doing. But in terms of the idea, I think the idea keeps evolving. I think the idea is evolving even today. Right. And uh, even four years, five years through, I think it still evolves because uh, we listen to customers, we, we listen to the things that are happening with us and you get a better understanding of the market every single day. But yes, I struggled with what the idea should be in the first year a lot and kept 
trying to get back to the drawing board and so on. But I think if there is someone who, like, you know, Manish, who is thinking of starting up, I think just start up, right? As in expecting that you'll get absolute clarity and enlightenment on day zero is a fallacy, right? And that doesn't exist. You have to start up. You have to make those mistakes. You have to get rejections. You have to do things wrong. And then eventually figure your way out, get pushed around till you find the right idea. Right. I think I will uh, extend Manish's question and ask you this instead. At what point do you stop iterating on your idea? At what point do you know, okay, this is the direction I have to push through? I think, uh, you know, as I said, our idea is evolving even today. But what I meant by that is that, of course, the core direction remains same, you know, in the mm -hmm. sense that uh, we, we have highly talented freelancers, we have great tech companies, and we are connecting the two of them. Right. So that's the core basis of the idea. Now, uh, once you fix on that, whether you fix on it or not is, you know, of course, over a period of time, you realize how you want to go about it. But we fixed on it fairly quickly, maybe in the first three to four months. Right. Uh, but then how we really want to monetize it, how much should we charge? Uh, and then how should we make the transaction go through? Should it be through manual interventions, through tech? Uh, where do we acquire them and so on? I would count all of them as part of the idea. Right, because uh, if if Uber didn't have an app, right, uh, such things existed even before, right? Taxis have been there forever. So even that simple thing as an app made what Uber Uber is, right? So uh, I would say all of these various components came to us not in the first year. They came to us over a period of time over the course of two or three years, and they all added up to what our idea is actually composed of. So as long as you think that you are reducing the friction in which you are able to execute your idea, uh, I think you're in the right direction. If you think that forever, you know, it's like an uphill climb and it, it's getting really exhausting and you're not able to find one gasp of air, I think possibly it's a time that you need to think if there needs to be a really uh, serious change that you need to be making uh, versus just maybe a minor tweak. But yeah, I think it just—it's a process which is tough to, uh, you know, articulate and more about experience. Yeah, yeah, perfectly, definitely. And uh, so, uh, Karthik, venturing into anything new is risky. In that way, startup is risky. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, even when we ride a bike for the first time or drive a car for the first time, the first thing we are taught is how to slow down or how to stop. So, mm -hmm. in a business, how do you learn when to stop or rather pivot? Uh, yeah, tough question. So uh, I, I, I don't think, uh, you know, I guess on, on that level, because as I said, for me, I, I, I you know, when, when I say me, I mean, obviously, my two co-founders as well. So I think we've always been at a pace where we are comfortable. So it's about not saying I, I suddenly cruised at 250 kilometers per hour, and now I am not able to manage the speed at which we are. Right. And that's where the the entire uh, vision or the, the number of months into the future that we're looking at has always evolved. We never looked at five years into the future and said, come on, let's ramp up stuff. Let's hire 100 people and let's get ready. We've always been at a pace that all of us are extremely comfortable with. So coming to a stop has not been really too difficult. Right. So there have been times when we tried outbound sales, for example. Right. And we invested six to eight months. And we hardly got any results of it. And it was it was easy for us to say, okay, fine, this is not it. 
inbound is how we need to go about it so let's drop it and let's go but we never went into it saying let's hire 50 you know sales persons and let's invest into it such that it came to a make or break situation right so slowing down was never a problem so it was just two people working on it till they were able to find success the moment we do find success and we feel that the only thing that is stopping us from replicating it is more number of people on it that time we don't stop that time we just like go really hard on it so i think it is about being able to find the replicable success and then just doubling down on it Beautiful. That's a great point, Karthik. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we've spoken enough about mistakes and challenges and all of those things. Let's talk about sure. success. Like, what mm -hmm. is contributing to flexible success? Because you're obviously profitable, and within four years, might I say, what are the things that worked for you? Uh, I think uh, you know, at least in the last two years, talking very tangibly and business focused, uh, I think it's been inbound that has really driven our success, and. A lot of like while a lot of our success has come in the last one year. If you were to just look at pure output metrics, right? Uh, it's been a product of all the hard work that we put over the past three or four years as well. So we focused a lot on SEO pipelines. You know, really doubling down on it. You know, ensuring like now we get more than hundred, hundred and fifty thousand visits every month on our on our website. Uh, then Rishikesh and I have focused a lot on ensuring that Flexible's brand uh, gets out there and people get to know about who we are. uh so we've done a lot of that on linkedin on twitter and we try to do that quite a bit we there are relevant communities and uh as as i said we've made a lot of mistakes right so it's it's and is ensured that we've corrected for every single mistake one by one by one by one right so uh now we have gotten to a level where i as i just mentioned we've understood what replicable success is right uh and we are making less mistakes than what we used to earlier it's not that we are not making any but it's just less so i think it's been all of these various aspects and them coming together at the right time that now we are able to see the kind of success at least at the at the level that we are uh, to the degree that we are getting scale really a product born out of hobby or did you think it would be a good strategy for flexible uh, i uh, i guess all of us like the three of us really like to build products right so uh, i would say it's a part of both but you would, would never... do you want to talk what scale is first uh, for sure, those sure, of sure. us who don't know about it yeah 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 sure so scale uh, basically we offer high quality illustrations so illustrations are graphics etc that you put on your website or like powerpoint on your posters and so on absolutely free uh, you don't need to attribute to us whatsoever uh so it's totally open source in that aspect aspect and uh, we have a lot of tools on our website such that you can customize the illustration to your branding your colors the way you want to and so on so uh, it becomes really easy because i think very early on in your startup ma making illustrations for your startup is really very costly and we faced it ourselves so we thought that this might be an interesting idea to work on and there were a few products which are already doing a good job we thought even we can do it especially given that our offering is tailored to developers and designers as well right uh so in that context of course our it we like to make products so it started as something that we would enjoy doing uh but we can't justify things just because we enjoy doing it we also it also has to have some kind of business impact because it takes a lot of time right like a lot of effort has gone into building scale uh so what we thought is that uh in general what marketing thesis is that uh we should build things that our target audience which is let's say startups and developers and designers truly find useful right uh, and in such a way if 
flexible benefits as a result in terms of its brand getting built and uh, it getting marketed maybe we get some leads etc that's an amazing bonus for us so yes it is something that is born uh, out of wanting goodwill out of our target audience and we like to do such things a lot of the stuff that we share very transparently on twitter etc learnings lessons etc is also born out of that that we want to you know be helpful to to our community as i would like to call it so scale was born out of that we're trying to help our you know community and if we benefit out of, as a result of it you know super happy beautiful i mean it serves both ways right you need it for your marketing and it is serving the people also and that's the best way to do it yeah beautiful yeah, sure. so um i see on your social pages uh, karthik that you have repeatedly spoken not to build a business just for the money involved mm. so i want to ask you Uh, mm. or understand rather your inner workings of your mind and try to fathom how do you see flexible and remote tool aside from mere money making ventures so uh, you know as i said you know when when i at least personally you know i'm sure rishikesh and suvan have their stories to share but from my perspective uh, entrepreneurship was largely about chasing happiness right you know uh, doing something that i was happy doing every single day and of course happiness means that uh, i need to be able to uh, sustain my family sustain myself i i don't mean to starve and you know not sustain myself but at the same time uh, being in uh, being a jp morgan and i saw a lot of you know i was paid well uh, and so on so i saw that money is not the only thing that can give you happiness right and money is not the only thing that can drive passion in you at least for me and that's where i think everyone needs to do their own soul searching and find out what drives them right so for me it was doing something that i was really passionate about every single day i i don't think it makes sense for me at least personally to be able to be doing some work that doesn't drive me intrinsically and i was confident that uh, i could do something and that i would not just starve to death right so that's where for me while people keep saying that entrepreneurship is risky or startups are risky i think a bigger risk in life is doing something that you're really unhappy doing versus doing something and i i'm obviously talking from an entitled position of course most of us i feel can take that entitled position because all of us come from you know at least a middle class upwards kind of you know place so we can take that position and then we owe it to ourselves to be happy in what we what we're doing and that's that's been more or less my mission with which i have trying to approach flexible and remote tools of course i wanted to succeed of course i wanted to grow but that's not what it what drives me i think every single morning i'm really excited to do the work that i'm doing because i really truly enjoy what i'm doing and uh that's something that i was chasing for a while and i'm happy that i found it in flexible and remote tools beautiful beautiful and uh, so i think flexible is in the marketplace business you know like mm. it wouldn't be okay to yeah, it's fair it? to okay. call it yeah yeah in any marketplace business there is a chicken and egg problem you know assuming you manage to get enough freelancers how do you manage to attract customers or do you attract customers and then your freelancers come in place or how does that work for you what was challenging there i think there's no elegant answer for this you know for us again we are first time entrepreneurs so it's, it wasn't like we built we had built many marketplaces before and this was a cake walk for us i think a marketplace is a struggle of just hustling around right like being able to do enough such that the two grow at somewhat the same pace right mm-hmm. even today i wouldn't say that we are we are at a position that the supply and demand are so ideally matched 
that you know it, it's just going on a flywheel by itself that's not true i think there is a certain amount of human intervention required even today to say okay i think the client side is growing really really great and i need think we, and we need to improve the supply of freelancers so i think it's never ever going struggle uh, however having said that i think in the early days what we did was just manually we said okay get 10 freelancers uh, start listing them ensure that they are the best quality freelancers possible i think at least for us since it's not a you know pure product based marketplace right where the product drives everything for us it was uh, what we call a managed marketplace right so because our focus is on ensuring quality is really high even if you know we don't have a huge number of freelancers so we could hand pick and get let's say 10 to 20 freelancers once we had 10 to 20 we said okay now we had 10 to 20 why don't we start talking to companies of course we'll not stop onboarding new freelancers but while we are talking to uh, you know some companies maybe one of the 10 or 20 might actually get get mapped here then you get your first testimonial from a company who's happy about us then you try to get a second one then your third one and try to build on that kind of momentum so thinking that you will get a huge amount of supply and suddenly that that is what will get you going is not true and to get 10 10 to 20 people we would have got rejected by 100 or 200 freelancers so there was no i think elegant or amazing solution that we came up with it was just a lot of pa- patient rejections that we had to face beautiful i mean uh, throughout this discussion one thing i keep noticing is every single decision or every single every single thing that has worked for you is completely organic there is hmm. no uh, gate crashing or there is no uh, money pouring over the head kind of a situation you know it's all been yeah. a slow simple and everyday step right i i think that's a that's a survival bias right like and not only a survival bias but what makes the news right what makes the news is something that's very flashy people like to hear about overnight success but overnight success is like many years in right like you you have to work hundreds of years to then realize that okay overnight suddenly you know people have thought of you as a success and that's what's been for us like till one and a half years before i don't think our ex- growth was exponential but all the work that we put in till that point of time i think suddenly just came together and now in the last you know 12 months we reached our first million dollars now we have grown to 2 million in just about 4 months hopefully we we get to 3 million as well soon so i think it is about not looking too, too far ahead and just being patient and allowing things to come together and being resilient enough to ensure things come together at a certain point of time beautiful you are building your own brand too as equal mm-hmm. as flexible i would say do you want to talk about he's curious to know about your brand building uh you know frankly uh you know i i a lot of my family made a lot of fun of me because i was never part of social media right family friends uh till early last year i didn't have an account on facebook twitter and all of these social platforms so i in social media are not something uh that have been gelling together for years together yeah, of uh, course i, I should interrupt and tell the viewers that you did not have one extra photo to give us for the creatives <laughs> <laughs> yes I, i don't have too many photos taken of myself and as so you can agree. see yes yes thank you as you can see even uh, i'm very underdressed for this occasion so usually usually i'm not so much into social media and so on but uh, as as i said earlier in, in our chat you know uh, i re- realized that uh, a lot of the narrative that is there uh, mainstream is of uh, tech startups which are vc funded and we realized that we also need to have our narrative show you know convey to people so we uh, so it became a sort of necessity for us 
to be able to talk about what we are doing. And since the, we, and that's true about even Rishikesh or so much, they are also not naturally social media focused people. So we asked ourselves, what is something we would be comfortable doing? Right? Like, so we can't just come out and talk about our daily personal lives and that's not us. So what we felt comfortable doing is just talking about the startup experiences, what we've learned and what we felt might be useful for other people. So I wouldn't really talk, talk about all of this as my personal brand. I think what I'm just trying to do is of course, something that would be helpful for flexible and that's my startup and doing that in a way that would be helpful for everyone out there who's also trying to go on a similar journey. So do it in a way that I can get up in the morning and write a Twitter post, right? So I need to be able to do that. So for me to be able to do that, I need to be truthful to myself. And for me to do that, I am writing what I'm experiencing on a daily basis while building a startup. So in a sense, uh, your social media presence is as good as your product scale. Both serve the same philosophy. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. So um, we hear from News Karthik that in the first half of 2021 alone, $12 billion were raised by Indian startups and uh, this excessive capital has triggered a talent crunch, obviously, even heavily funded companies are finding it hard to discover talent. So do you see this as an opportunity for the freelance market? Uh, I think everyone has their way of looking at building a startup, looking at a market and so on. But I the way I would like to like, you know, think about this entire framework is there are two ways of looking at it. One is the top down approach where you say the market is so big, the market is gro growing at this level and there are these new macro factors that have gotten into place and so on. And the other way is the bottom up approach, right? Where you know where you are and you know them really very well and you work on those factors, those intrinsic things that you know so very well. For me, the former doesn't work. Right, because I just don't think that thinking about a market really helps me make better decisions today. Uh, I need to I need to understand what are the problems my startup is facing, and I need to be solving for them. Right, uh, a top-down approach works when you are maybe in a very early phase of your idea, where you think that you're doing something so crazy that only a macro factor is going to support it or break it. I think most ideas are not like that whatsoever, right? Or it can be in those places where it's so regulatory driven that certain regulations make or break your startup. I think most software startups aren't in any of those places, right? So as much if, if anyone wants to like follow my thesis, I would say don't think about macro factors. Think about things that are controllable in your, you know, in your domain, things which you know well, and then build on top of it. You know, it's nice, nice, you know, tomorrow, uh, you know, there might be a new ruling by the government which says we really support independent contractors. Now, how am I supposed to view that legislation and come up with a strategy for flexible? I don't think there's, there's any point of that. And lastly, I don't think the size of the market really is constraining flexible at this point of time. Okay? I think the only thing that is that I think we hold our own destiny. How well we do or how badly we do decides how we grow or don't grow, right? So it's not really about the market suddenly, you know, quadrupling that we suddenly realize, oh, wow, now flexible is going to go out of, you know, grow crazy. So I think most of these uh, macroeconomic factors are good, but I try to not, you know, it's easy, better to keep your mind simple. And that's why I try not to uh, bother myself with a lot of these kind of news articles.
Yeah, that philosophy definitely comes through, uh, Karthik. Thank you so much. With that, it is a wrap. And on behalf of Zoho, I wish you and all your ventures a, a good luck. And I think Thank I will so talk much. to you again when you hit a three million. Absolutely, absolutely. I hope it's very soon. And thank you for having me here. It was an absolute pleasure and a lot of fun talking to you. Pleasure is mine. Thank you, Karthik. See you. See you.